Okay, this morning I'm just going to read from a few scriptures. And then I'm going to start with Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 has to do with, uh, this is the prophecy of Christ in his love and how, in his love and what he would accomplish in his love for Israel. And this brings this out in prophecy. But we see the beauty of it uh, here in the scriptures. And obviously, Christ has, he has already fulfilled this for Israel, but he will reveal it in time. But here in, in Isaiah 53, it says, who, who has believed our report? And report there means the message to preaching. And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, and he's, and he's revealing who the arm of the Lord is, it's, it's, it's Christ himself in, in his impeccable humanity. For he will grow up before him <coughs> as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we will see him, there is no beauty outwardly, no physical outward beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we, we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, what were his sorrows? A man of sorrows. Why was he called that? Because in verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. And, uh, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his bruise, the stripes of... As a result of the stretch, the bruise, we are healed. And so, again, here, we see his griefs and his sorrows and how it had caused him to groan, we see. And we, we see his perfect identification with us. And we'll understand this. Remember in John, the 11th chapter, uh, and when Lazarus was already dead, and they were weeping. There was Mary and there was Martha. And uh, they, they, were, they were at his, at his grave and they were weeping. And then it says in John 11, <clears throat> where we see this picture. In verse 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, this is Mary in the preceding verse, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned. He groaned in spirit. And he became troubled in himself. Then we said, then he said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then it says, Jesus wept. And then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And so he groaned. And Jesus groaned, of course, like no man ever did. Because he had on him all the grief and sorrow that, uh, would, that would have went toward his father and that was about the whole sin question. And then about all of our sins on him. And he groaned. And that's why we see here in Romans, the eighth chapter. In Romans 8. In Romans, the eighth chapter, 
It says in verse 21, for the creature itself, the whole creation and the creature will be delivered from, from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also. It's ourselves, all of us that are in Christ. We, we groan and travail in pain together right up until now. It says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves groan within ourselves. Where does all that grief and that sorrow and all that pain and death and crying take place? It takes place with us in these bodies. And that's why we're waiting for the adoption, really, to it, the redemption of these physical bodies. And so that's what that is bringing out very clearly. And then in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, we see Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, keep and hold, cling to our confession. So if you see profession, in some translations, the correct word would be our proper confession. For we have not a high priest. He's not one that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But we just saw in Isaiah 53 and verse 3, he was filled up with all of our griefs and all of our sorrows and all of our pain. And so it's not that he's, he's not that way. God himself put on humanity through Christ to know what it was like to, with the feeling of all of our infirmities, but was in all points tested, not like we are, of course, tested in terms of uh, the perfection of who he was and the work that was brought out, the perfection of his person and the work that he was accomplishing and did accomplish. So in, in all points tested like as we, yet without a sin nature. He had a human nature. He never had a sin nature. And so because of that, this is what we can do. We can come boldly right onto the throne of grace. That's where he rules and reigns over us. It's a throne of grace that you and I might obtain mercy and find grace to help right in the nick of time. Here we are on this earth right now, and in between... In this, this waiting period, and that's what we all are while we are in these uh, human vessels <laughs> waiting, right now it is a time of suffering. And suffering, obviously, in 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. That's suffering with him when it's not about sin. It's not about sin. And sometimes we do suffer. And Jesus did carry this to the cross and dealt with the sufferings that even our own sin does. But then there's also, and that's why we groan, but then there's also, there's, there's a grief and a sorrow when we're misunderstood. And sometimes even those that are closest to us, those that we love deeply and those that love us deeply, there can be a misunderstanding through weakness, through failure, through sin. And Jesus even carried that for us. 
He carried that for us. But right now, in between, while we're on our way to a glorified state, and we have God the Holy Spirit, who in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, and in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22, and in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, he's the down payment. He's the proof. He is the proof that already we are in a glorified state. But right now we're passing through suffering on our way to glory, just like Jesus did. And that's why Paul said in Colossians 1 and verse 24, when he said afflictions, many times we can be afflicted by the, by the failure of others, by being misunderstood, uh, completely misunderstood by being, re, by being through sin or failure or ignorance, just in misunderstanding, just we can feel and sense this grief and this sin and, and this sorrow. And so sometimes here, there, that is, is what happens to us here. Sin and sorrow can enter in to our experience. But God wants us to know this this morning as he brings this precious word to all of us. That even now when that sin and sorrow comes in, immediately his grace can come right in, right after. And then that's why it says, and this is for true for all of us, and we're all growing in this. And in Psalm 119, uh, where it says in 165, it says great peace. We have great peace. The reason is, is because Christ is our peace in Ephesians 2 and verse 14. And he, having carried all of our griefs, all of our sorrows, what we did in terms of sin, and what we had to carry as a result of someone else's sin that wasn't my own. He carried all of those. And so it says, great peace have they that love the word, that love Christ. And then it says, nothing will cause you to stumble. Nothing will cause you to stumble because we have the greatness of the peace that he is in us. And that doesn't mean that sin and sorrow is not going to enter into our experience. But it does mean that because we are in Christ and because he has carried those and that he's with us in it all, we can still experience the great peace that he is. And so grace comes in. And when grace comes in, in the midst of sin and sorrow and suffering, when his grace does come in, when we humble ourselves to receive it in James 4, 6, and in 1 Peter 5, 6, it exalts us. And what now what? Right then, right when the sin and sorrow is there, when he is, when we receive the fact that he is there, that he is our great peace, that he never leaves us nor forsakes us with a triple salutation in Hebrews 13, 5. And in Joshua 1, 5, I will not fail you nor forsake you. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, his love never fails. When grace comes in, it is his love that pours in and rises up above all the sin and sorrow. Comes right in. Because if anyone, and part of it, Part of it, this again, too, honestly, part of this, really, and it's not an unfortunate thing. It's part of our being in Christ. We are to fill up of the afflictions of Christ. Did Christ ever need to be afflicted? 
We may have in Psalm 119 and 60, 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He never did. So the afflictions that he got was the result of other sins and grief and sorrow and failure that came towards him. But this is what we can fill up in Colossians 1 and verse 24. And this is what brings it out in Philippians, the first chapter. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 28, it says, And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation. There's an experiential deliverance through grace where love comes in right when the enemy wants to do his worst. Well, but to you of, of a deliverance and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, and that means to trust him for everything. Listen, to trust him for every sin, every grief, and every sorrow. And even what the enemy means for evil. In Genesis 50, verse 20, God can mean for good. And sometimes God allows us to be in circumstances and situations when we are misunderstood, when we are rejected, when someone didn't know and experience what I was trying to, to relay in, in my heart. And in that sense, then that person who didn't mean anything could, could be misunderstood and rejected. Is that still an opportunity for them? And the answer is yes. I'm not saying we don't confess our faults to one another in James 5 and verse 16. We do. For 15 and 16. We are to confess our faults to one another. We are to go to God first and then go to the others alone. Yes, we are to do that. But in the meantime, what the enemy meant for evil in Genesis 50, verse 20, God meant for good. And it just might mean that I can be the good, <laughs> even being misunderstood by someone and being hurt for God's glory and their blessing. And would that not be my blessing? He always, always, he's always our great high priest. And sometimes... God needs us in circumstances and situations to cause the growth of someone else, the one that did misunderstand us, the one that did seem to reject us in, in, in failure. But here we know this, that the very worst that the enemy could do in terms of sin and sorrow, in terms of it, when that, that grace comes in with love coming in, it enters in and goes way above the worst of all that that evil, that rejection, that sin could ever do and has given us a place experientially, a place above all of it. Well, that's why our view has to constantly be of Christ. That's why it says in Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all. And sometimes we need to appear, allow Christ to use us to appear to someone who needs love and doesn't understand it see that grace of god that brings a deliverance has appeared unto all and it teaches us in 212 of titus to deny all ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously looking for our view is to be vertical looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of that great god and our savior who has already in verse 14 of, of titus 2 delivered us 
already delivered us. See, from all the sin and sorrow. I mean, he already has. Already seeing it. In his determinate counsel and foreknowledge in Acts 2 and verse 23. Already delivered us from it. And he's so insulated us in his love. But he's given us a place out of it all. That's why it says to us, when we look to him, even at times when we're misunderstood or rejected, seemingly, then in Song of Solomon 4 and verse 7, his word to us is simply this. Listen, this is what he tells us. There's no spot in you. You are all fair, my love. In my sight, you're all fair. There's not a spot or a blemish in you. You're not, you're not, you're not the one that has to pay for your sin. Matter of fact, it's been paid for. Romans 7, 17 and 7, 20. It is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And that's what he's constantly dealing with, with us. And it is his love that flows through grace, that comes in and lifts us up above it all. That's why, again, it says in Song of Solomon 4, and verse 7, you're all fair, my love. There's no spot in you. So look from the top in 4.8. Look from the top. And then sometimes when others who reject you through ignorance or misunderstanding, when they can't look for the top, you can love them and cause them and their growth to look to the love of Christ that will lift them up above even the sin and the wrong evaluation of whatever it is in another. And that's what makes love so beautiful in terms of forgiveness because forgiveness is the constant confirmation of God's love for each other in John 13, 34 and 35, to love one another. And so we have that place. We have that place. Because the fact of the matter is we already read it. We read it in, in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. We read it in Isaiah 53, 1 through 7. We read it crystal clear where he already has entered into all our sin and grief on both sides. Guilty or not. Undeserved suffering, he's entered into it. The grief that can come from undeserved suffering becomes an opportunity. Not that we should not deal with things in transparency and in love and in forgiveness. The fact of the matter is, there, there is, and there is, so that we won't be found in our own righteousness. That's what Paul said, the Holy Spirit to him, and through him in Philippians 3.9. He, he, he did not want to be found in his own righteousness. What is his own righteousness? Anger when hurt. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Anger, bitterness coming in. No. No, I don't want to be found in my own righteousness, but I want to know him. In the fellowship of his resurrection, it says, but then there's a deeper fellowship. And this is what it says. The fellowship of his sufferings. There's a deeper intimacy there's a deeper intimacy and a shared exchange of a love life, not only for myself, but for others, that goes into a depth of suffering. And that's part of our growth. That's, part, that's a badge. That is nothing to be ashamed of. Again, we need to deal with things in transparency and in love, hopefully before they become bitter, before they become 
bitterness in all of us. But here we see this. He has delivered us from it all positionally. Now it has to enter into our experience through our will being submitted. And that very love in the midst of the worst that the enemy could do reveals itself by coming down right into the midst of that sin and sorrow that you and I might experience the intimacy of his love right then and there. Right then and there. Jesus, we just read and saw, was a man of sorrows. And none had sorrows and griefs like he did. He was the most misunderstood, hated, rejected human being that ever walked the face of the earth. And he was the kindest, most gentle, most loving man, God-man, that ever was and is. And he right now, he right now, in both areas, God forbid that my, my own sin causes grief and failure, but it does. And God forbid that the grief and sins of others and unjustly come upon me. He intercedes for us in Romans 8 and verse 34, in Hebrews 7 and verse 25, and in Hebrews 9 and verse 24. He is interceding for us right now with a love through grace that pours right in is when we submit our will and allow it even then in guiltlessness. And that's why it says in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, this is what it says, come unto me. Oh, how quickly when we sin and when we fail our own, we should run to him quickly, flee to him. Flee youthful lusts in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22 and flee to him. Come to him. All you that labor, and that speaks of our personal sins and failures and griefs. And then heavy laden is all that that others put on us. We were, we were misunderstood. We weren't understood. And the meaning of what we were trying to convey was completely misunderstood. And we become heavy laden, but we're to come to him instantly. Come unto me. And how do we do that? Well, we come unto him. And when I sin and when I fail, him, what should I do? I come unto him instantly. And instantly, when I confess it, what do I experience about my own sins and griefs? and fear? What do I experience? His love coming in. It's part of my confession in 1 John 1, 9. And what about others that put things heavy laden, that put them on me? What should I do with them instantly? Run to him. Run to him. Run to him. And to do it for them. But also to protect myself. And then when I'm protected, they, they will be also. And then I can be a light to them. I can be a light to them in the midst of, in the, midst of the darkness. God wants us to look to this as his loving counsel for us this morning. Because his love is complete empathy. We've said this before and some of these, these understandings is, is we, can, we can pity someone, but we've never been what they, what, what they go through and we don't understand. All we can do is pity them. That's all. And then sometimes we can sympathize with others because we've been through what they've been through, but we still can't do anything about it without Christ. But empathy means that not only did Christ identify with everything about our sin and sorrow on both sides. 
be laboring on personal sins and being heavy laden with others' things that they put on us, on both sides, he not only identified with it, but he did something about it. He did it about it. And then when we look to him, and this is what it says here, this is why, and even in our relationships, in the most closest relationships, oh, this is needed more than anything. This is needed more than anything in, in all of us. In Hebrews 12 and verse 1, it says, Wherefore seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses in the 11th chapter, how God was with them in everything that they went through, feeling it, having gone through it himself, going right through it. Wherefore seeing we are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, why don't we just lay aside every weight? Why and try and deal with our own sin when it's already been dealt with? Why try and deal with someone else's sin that was put on me and becomes a weight? Why should I try and do something when I can run to him quickly? And not only to, to, the, to him for myself, but for the one that caused the pain and the grief and the sorrow. And so let us lay aside every weight because if we don't, it enters into a sin. And it affects even my. You see, my own sin affects my fellowship. And when I try and carry what someone else has done to me and completely misunderstanding me, and then when I try and deal with it, it is a weight and it interferes with intimacy and fellowship. takes me right away from his love, pouring through his grace. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily trips us up in this love life walk with him. And let us run with patience, in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, the race that is set before us. And what do we do? We look away from all that would distract. Ha hanging on to sin and our own sin and failures. And trying to hang on to others, the hurt that they did that we did not deserve. Look, what do we do? We're to look away from all that would distract unto Jesus. And when we do, we're to look to him. And then you and I will find right in the midst of the sorrow, that he raises us up right out of it. Not by destroying the emotions or the feelings, no, but by coming right into it with us. This is his intercession. Comes right into it with us, and what he does is he takes away all human will and replaces it with the will of Christ. In John 4, and verse 34, that leaves out all anger, regret, and bitterness. It leaves it out. Takes out all human will out of it. Takes it right out. And that because human will, this is what human will does. Trying to deal with my own sin and the effect of others against me. What does it do? It brings in regret. Thank God we do have a sorrow. We do have sorrow and there is groaning. But you know what? When it's Christ, it's 2 Corinthians 7.10. There's a sorrow but, it's, but with joy, and it's never with regret. Worldly sorrow, human will, fleshly will, a ton of sorrow. Not only sorrow, but bitterness. Bitterness. In Hebrews 12, when I don't deal with my own sin, my own personal sins, or when I don't go to God, who's already dealt with the sins of others, believers that affected me, and I become heavy laden, when I don't go to him, Instantly. How quickly should we go to him? Oh, quickly. 
How quick, Jesus said when he saw Satan fall from heaven. He said, I saw him in Luke 10, verse 18, as lightning fallen from heaven. It takes no time. He's there. Instantly, with, with human anger and human will, in Ephesians 4 and verse 26, be angry, but don't sin, because if you do, you give a place to the devil, meaning you give up your place of intimate fellowship in the experience of grace through humility with his love, not only for me, but for others. I have great peace. I have great peace, not only for me, but for them. And then also it keeps out that bitterness. And in Hebrews 12 in verse 15, it says, looking diligently. Diligently means quickly. Do it quickly. Don't hang on to your own failures and sins. Instantly confess them. And instantly go to him with, with what others put on you. Instantly go to him. Looking diligent, diligently, lest any man, what? Fall from the grace experientially. Fall from the grace of God, and when we do with human will, guess what? A root of bitterness springs up and troubles you, and then it defiles many. My relationship with God will have an effect on me, whatever it is, and on others. And bitterness is this. This is what bitterness is, and we've been taught this. Bitterness is, is anger that's turned inward. When the person is not there, when they're bigger, or when I'm fearful, when I'm fearful and I can't direct that anger towards them and it's not dealt with, it turns inward and becomes a poison. And that's what it says in Ephesians 5 and verse 16, redeeming the time. That's what it talks about, redeeming the time. Because the days outside of Christ and his love and grace, the days are what? Poneros, P-O-N-E-R-O-S. It's not kakos, K-O, K-A-K-O-S. It's not intrinsic evil. It's infectious evil in active opposition to God's divine good that he wants to express towards me and towards others, especially of the household of faith. Of course he's going to go after believers experientially to cause separation, to cause division, and to cause that one who hangs on to the anger to be scattered in their thinking. We know we read that in John 10 and verse 16. He scatters the sheep. He gets them scattered through all these negative thoughts. Well, no. He brings in his will in, right into the midst of that circumstance and situation. And he brings in himself in love with us. Notice that? With us. In it. And he constantly teaches us. One thing is for sure. His grace, where his love flows through abundantly. In Romans 5.5, 5, without measure. His grace is sure. And in that path that is lit up, with his love, never fails. He never fails us. We fail him, others fail us, he never fails us, ever. Never, never fails us. And nothing about us being his, we're his. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we're his. He owns us. We are his. We are his. And nothing in any circumstance or situations, being in Christ, being the dot that has been encircled 
by, by God, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing escapes or happens without his grace and his love in the midst of it. Not a single thing. And this gives us great comfort. It gives us great comfort. He groans. And did you know he groans with us? As part of his intercession, when we groan about our own sin and the failures of others towards us, he groans. He groans with us. And his groans are groans of love and identification. Right in the midst of it. The worst that Satan could do. And he does that a lot of times in our ignorance and in our failure and our weakness and feebleness. But he groans in depths of his love and identification with us. Oh, what we try to do without his love for ourselves and for others. What we try to do, what we try to do, oh, there's a fullness that we have. And that's why it says that. Of his fullness have we all received. In John 1 and verse 16, of his fullness have we all received, and that means grace heaped up upon grace. And grace heaped up upon grace with that Greek word anti, A-N-T-I, brings out the reality of a love life that we're headed to where there never will be a distraction or a disturbance, but we'll still be growing in that love, that eternal love for all eternity. And it's a love that passes knowledge. Listen, he will come in when we humble ourselves Allow our wills to be broken and humbled. He will come in and his love will pass the knowledge of my sin or what anyone else ever did to me. Instantly. And without a hesitation, he'll do that. Sometimes it takes a while in our growth, but it can be just as quick. And it's a path that is lit up with light. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 36 and verse 9, With you, O God, is the fountain of life. And in your light we will see light. In your light, we'll, in the light of your love, we'll see how that love life has lit us up and we'll see ourselves as you see us, above sin, above laboring for our own sin, above, above being heavy laden with others. And so as we begin to close this this morning, there is a depth and we will see this. We will see this in 2 Corinthians the first chapter, and I'll just read that briefly in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Notice by the will of God, and that's Christ. And Timothy, our brother, unto the church, the local assembly, the ecclesia of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace unto you. Constantly, grace being poured out to you when the will is broken. And as a result, peace, the love, the peace that love brings in. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, blessed be God. And you will see his blessing, how it's based upon how he's been glorified. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he? He's the Father of mercies. We read it in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And he's the God of all comfort. Watch, who comforts us in all our tribulation, he comforts us about our own sins and our own failures and about the sins and failures of others that come on us, become a great source and opportunity to enter into the depth of the intimacy of his love so that not only do we be comfort, become comfort, 
but he makes us comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. How, why? That we may be able, have the supernatural ability of his love through grace to comfort them that are in any trouble. And maybe someone brings their trouble towards me and misunderstanding me. And I can be the one who can love them, who can be filled up because I've been through it. I know what God has done with me about my sin and failures. And I can comfort them that are in any trouble, that are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There's a depth of comfort that only comes through suffering. And if we suffer with him, it says in, in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 12, we will reign with him. That means right now. But also, the moment we allowed him to reign with his eternal love with us in time, that goes right into part of our character and fellowship in Revelations 2 and verse 17. It is, the, it is the hidden manna, and that's what that means. I was hurt, and I instantly went to him, and he gave me a fresh supply of manna. A fresh supply. And then when that comes in, it keeps our will out. It keeps out human will out with all of its subtlety. Where we got that fallen nature in Genesis 3.1 and in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 is that, that human will, there's subtlety in it. Where there is regret that has anger and bitterness turned inward because of human will. But when that will is broken, the subtlety is separated. And that's why it says in James 4 and verse 6, it's a, it makes it very clear. God Resist the proud. Keeping God out. Not allowing him to come in and deal with not only my sin and failures, but the sin and failures of others. We see it clearly. God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to those that are humbled. Their will is broken. Then with a broken will, you submit yourself to God through Christ, and Christ is between you and the devil. Not just for you, but for the other that caused the pain and the hurt. Then we get to be walk in love in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. And then in that way, we in that way, like his children, our father, our Christ, we imitate him. It's beautiful the way it's brought out. And then when there's a brokenness, then there's submission. Then comes the sense. And what makes sense outside of his grace and his love? But then comes the sense of his positive love for us. And then any sense, listen, any sense of failure, ours or others that failed us, any sense of failure, even on our part, if there be, ours or others is lost in the sense of the perfect, complete love and ordering of God. It's so amazing when we think of it this way. He takes the place Instead of giving our place to the enemy experientially, of course, he can't take us out of our place positionally in Christ in 1 John 5, 18, the B. But we don't give up, give him our place through human will not being broken, which is anger, regret, and bitterness. We don't. Then he takes the place of the reasoning of our minds outside of Christ, and then we experience the peace that he is in a beautiful, beautiful way. That's what this is teaching us as we close this message. In 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, we see 2 Corinthians 10. 
verse 1, it says, I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Someone hurts us. Someone misunderstands us. How do we see them? Do we see them in the flesh? In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, it says to know no man after the what? The flesh. Now, can I do that outside of a a will that's been submitted? None of us can. All things are passed away. You mean my sin and failure and the sins of failures that are affecting me right now? When I didn't deserve them? Yes, they already are passed away as far as God's concerned through Christ. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new in him. Function in the newness of his love and grace that he will bring out in every circumstance and situation. So here it says, verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, these bodies... We do not war after these particular, it's not, a, these, these, the warfare is not between each other. Listen, in our relationships with each other, we wrestle not against blood and flesh, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this particular age, spiritual wickedness in the height in Ephesians 6, 12. But here it says in 10, 4 of 2 Corinthians, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have anything to do with natural human will. Unbroken natural human will. No. But mighty, powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can God, will God desire to pull down strongholds in me of sin and failure? Yes. Will he use me in an innocent state to deal with others? (laughs) Their strongholds. Because that's all it would be. Because God is for us in Romans 8, 31 and in Psalm 56 and verse 9. Pulling down of strongholds and casting down these false reasonings from natural human will from the enemy. And every high thing in the spiritual realm of, of spiritual conflict and warfare, every high thing that begins to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, meaning the love of God that's with me, with my dealing with my sin and failures experientially through confessing him in 1 John 1 9, but others in an innocent, uh, undeserved state. Casting them down, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all your personal disobedience. Because I can be disobedient in my own sins and failures just as much as I can be disobedient in the sins and failures of others that come upon me. And God has dealt with them. Again, not that we shouldn't go alone. Not that we shouldn't deal with things. And deal with them in love. And this brings out Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. But having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Well, in closing, God uses this all. He uses all of this to set our hearts right with him. That's what he does. My own failures and the failures of others 
to, he, to set our hearts right. Why? And to give us softened peace. It's like a river, <laughs> like a flowing river. In flows his peace instantly, instantly. And then we see here in Psalm 46, brought out very beautifully in, in Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble right now. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed, <laughs> things in prophecy, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar, <laughs> our own sin and failures, the accusations of the enemy, and then all others that come against us, ignorantly or otherwise, though they the waters thereof roar and, and, and trouble, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, we will have Selah, we will have his peace. Because there is a river. The streams whereof make glad you and I, who are, in this sense, we are his house, the holy place, the tabernacles of the Most High, and much more for us than he was for Israel here. God is in the midst of her. Listen, God's in the midst of her, you and I, and she will not be moved. God will help her, and that right early, so that you can be still and know that he's your God, because he will be exalted among the heathen and in the midst of each other, and I will be exalted <clears throat> in the earth. Well, as we close this morning, he speaks great words of his comfort and his love that is for us. God is for us. He speaks great words and he speaks them to our heart. He speaks them to our heart because we're on our way through suffering, through laboring, and through being heavy laden. But here we're on our way to see him in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, to see him face to face. Here and we're on our way and then he said this, he makes this very clear in Revelation 21 and verse 4, it says this, and God can do this now. God will wipe away all tears. Tears are a language time. Sometimes they go beyond what we can even express with words. There's a chemical makeup for tears. They go beyond. And that's why even we, Jesus groans for us in heaven in our position. But the Holy Spirit, in Romans 8 and verse 26, He groans with us. He takes our groanings, which we can't articulate in words, and brings them in oneness with Christ. And He, he Christ Himself, intercedes for us. And then God will wipe away all tears. We see this in, in Isaiah 25 and verse 8, in Revelation 7 and verse 17. And it says, God will wipe away all tears from off their eyes. And there'll be no more death, separation. Oh, how the enemy wants to bring in separation between believers. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. Neither will there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he said unto them, he that sat on the throne said unto them, Behold, I want you to see this. I make all things new. And he said unto me, and he's saying this unto us, Write these words on your heart indelibly. Because they're true. And they're faithful. And he said, it's done. 
because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's our beginning and our glorious end in Revelation 21, 5 and 6. So he says this, only believe in Jesus. Only believe in Jesus. Trust in him with all your heart so that you don't lean unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You won't be wise in your own eyes, but you'll reverence the Lord and then you'll depart. evil will depart from you. For and then it will be health unto your navel, marrow unto your bones. Only look to Jesus. Believe in and count on the love of God towards yourselves in Jude 20 and 21. Towards others in the midst of their difficulty. I thought of how many of my loved ones. <laughs> it just seems, and we've said this before, it seems like there's more people that we knew that are in heaven than right now. But they're clear of everything. And oh, how the enemy tries to bring in guilt and condemnation to even those that are already in his presence. And yet he brings in the beauty of the river of his love that flows so beautifully. And he says that she and he are clear of all that. And he's bringing that into our relationship now. We are clear of everything with each other. And we wait upon him. And he's sufficient when we do. And he knows our sorrows and difficulties and trials. And, but they just become the opportunity where we can be so much with Jesus. And then he is experientially. And he becomes the God of peace. And it keeps and it guards our hearts. And thank you, Lord, for your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen.